Welcome to episode number 102 of the Marine Layer podcast. We welcome on Adam Jude, sports writer for the Seattle Times. He'll be down there covering spring training in Peoria with spring training on the horizon. We discuss a couple of storylines with Adam that we're looking forward to. And then Lyle and I ourselves will take a look at a couple of other storylines we're looking forward to as spring training nears. Your reminder before we start the show, if you're listening to the podcast, make sure to download, make sure to rate and review five stars. You're doing us a big favor if you do. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that big red subscribe button. It's free. takes about two seconds to do. Like and comment as well on YouTube where our full video podcast is. And then check us out on social media. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording here on Monday evening, February 12th. And I'm glad Julio spent all that money on a Super Bowl ticket and actually stayed for four quarters. He showed how much he cared. Is this in reference to one Tommy Pham, who still does not have a team yet, by the way? No, he doesn't. And there might be a reason for that, because... If we take a look at Julio, he stayed all four quarters because he wanted to know what it felt like, at least energy-wise, down on the field when they win a championship. And he's like, I had to stay. I had to see what that felt like. I'm starving. I don't think Tommy Pham was starving. He was sitting on his couch after leaving at halftime. He had really good seats, too. What is he doing? Yeah, so for those who don't know, Tommy Pham was at the Super Bowl and then left mid-game to go watch the rest at home. So I have two theories with this. He either did not pay for his own ticket, or if he did, that's just delusional behavior. Because how could you shell out thousands of dollars for a Super Bowl ticket and then say, you know what, I'm going to leave. Like, see ya. I flew to Vegas for the Super Bowl, for Super Bowl week. I went to the game. Now I'm actually going to leave. Now, I'm going to say he didn't actually buy that ticket. Because those tickets where he was sitting was probably, what, $140,000 if that was going to be resale. So I'm going to say he's there on behalf of some brand. If I'm if I'm going to take a big giant swing at that, that doesn't mean you should leave at halftime. I didn't even like the halftime performance. Dude, just open your phone. I just watched a video on how the Raiders installed great Wi-Fi in the stadium. So when Usher's performing, you can sit there on your phone and scroll on Twitter while you wait for Usher to leave the field in the second half to start. But no, Tommy Pham rather sat in that crummy traffic that I saw to go back home in the middle of one of only 58 Super Bowls that have ever been played so far. So congrats, Tommy. I I think you're in the minority of people that didn't like the Usher performance. Most people really loved it. I liked it. You know, I I must be setting my expectations too high. The 2021 Super Bowl performance blew me away. Like it really did with, I went back and watched it during the Usher performance because I was like, this one is way better. It was the one with with Snoop Dogg and Eminem and 50 Cent and Kendrick and Dr. Dre and in, in L.A. And I thought that was just awesome. And, you know, the Usher one, I thought, yeah. So I have two things to say to that. That's my favorite one, too. So I'm, I'm, in, I'm in agreement with you. I don't know if every performance can reach that level. But also, when did you start listening to hip hop music? Like, did you listen to Usher? Because I grew up listening to Usher when I was 11, 12, 13 years old. I listened to some Usher, but I wasn't. I didn't become the total music person until I was in college. So that's it was, probably why it was an adjustment. It was an adjustment period, and again, it was just like kind of okay. It it didn't really sound like a very good his performance tune. I didn't think sounded very good. All right, I think I think if you had grown up listening to Usher, you may have felt differently. Like AK, not that's started fair. listening to him in college. Like if you grown up with him through middle school, basically. I think it would have been different. But um, anyway, do we think Julio paid for his own Super Bowl ticket or do we no. think he was there on behalf of some brand too? No chance. No yeah. way. Because like, I mean, he was sitting sweet too. That like Julio's a very rich man, but is he would he be rich enough to buy his own Super Bowl suite? I mean, we're no, talking no, no. like that's like a five million dollar investment at least think, or nine. Actually, he, it might be nine and a half. No, I don't think he was in a suite. I thought he was just in a normal seat. Oh, really? I thought he was in a suite. Anyway, Look, wherever he was sitting, couldn't have been cheap. But I, no, I don't think Julio Rodriguez is going to the Super Bowl paying out of his own pocket. He's he's too famous. I would probably agree with that. Yeah. 
He's back in Arizona now, though. And if we want to talk for a couple minutes before we get to our Adam Jude conversation, which was awesome, by the way. As spring training nears, because we're getting real, real close to pitchers and catchers reporting. In fact, we're days away from it now. So is spring training is very much on the horizon. We talk about a lot of this with Adam, but is there any storyline that you're looking at saying, hey, I'm really kind of itching to see this when the guys get down to Arizona and games start? Well, big question I have every spring training is who's going to seize the opportunity in spring and play really well right out of the gate when you're not in rhythm, when you're not when you're not used to being back and playing every single day. And for the most part, those are it's pitchers who will, who will jump out in, in spring training and they have a bit of an advantage on the hitters. But in this case, I just want to see, I kind of want to see some some life here from Dom Kenzo. Not, I mean, it's not, sorry, life's not a very good word for that. I, I want to see Dom have a good spring training because I think people will be much more comfortable heading into this season if you and I are not sitting here and saying, well, Mitch Hanniger's got to play 130 games because that's the proven proven corner outfield bat in that spot for Dom. And we're, we're, we're coming off a, a season where Dom just destroyed the minor leagues and destroyed AAA, and he was the best hitter in the minor leagues. And you and I sat here on this podcast when that trade was made and said, Hey, look, like this is the piece, this was one of the centerpieces of this Paul Seawald trade because Dom Canzone has the upside to hit like this. Well, I think a lot of people would be a lot more comfortable, and I think you and I would be a lot more excited for Dom if he came out the spring training and started showing a little bit of what made him so special in the minors with a really high contact rate and a really good zone discipline, not a whole lot of swing and miss on top of hitting the ball as hard as probably about the top 80th percentile of baseball, which we know he can do. He's still young. I think people somehow got to realize that a little bit, but uh, for Dom is what he's been tabbed as as a hitter that it would be really nice to see him come out and have a strong spring right off the bat so people feel more comfortable about that corner outfield spot and really so the pressure is off of Mitch Hanegrad as he's getting up there in age and he's continued to battle his health problems okay well we don't the Mariners don't have to rely on Mitch as much if Dom Canzone comes out and has a good season and I think a good start of that would be him performing in spring what I don't hope for Dom is that he has a Mike Zanino 2015 spring. Is that the spring I remember correctly where him and Chris Bryant were, were dueling spring training MVPs and then Mike Zanino ended up getting demoted to the minor leagues that year because he struggled so much. So I'm hoping that's not the case for Dom. And of course, we're biased to Dom because he came on here with the podcast with us and that was awesome and his interview was great. But I hope for the Mariners' sake and the lineup's sake as well that Dom comes out and he just crushes it crushes it one last thing we also haven't seen much social media videos of dom he's not really an online person which again is very smart so it's just gonna be nice to see him like on a screen doing something which is Mm -hmm. nice because we've gotten it from a lot of other guys i would not be shocked in any way shape or form to see dom canzone come out this year and hit 25 bombs i would not at all he's got the power to do it he's been in the big leagues for a little bit now he's got a whole off season of adjustments he's got his first full season with the new team or with his new organization coming up And he's just such a talented hitter. Like, you don't hit like that in the minors and hit like that in college and just and have none of it translate. I just I think he is such Mm. a breakout candidate. And if he can even just hit righties in year one, obviously you want to see him be hit both sides of the plate long term. But if in year one, he is truly going to platoon with Mitch, not only does that take so much pressure off Hanniger where he only has to play half the games, they're against lefties, they'll probably get him some DH days every now and then. Or if Dom hits righties and he's and he like you said bat, barrels up the ball a decent amount hits for some power, that's all you can ask for from the guy. I would not be shocked at all to see Dom have twenty to twenty five bombs here in twenty twenty four. So if that starts out by him having a really good spring, great, that'd be great. Yeah, we we just need to also remember as we get into spring spring training numbers aren't anything but it would be always nice to see some signs as they uh, as they roll along so what are you what what storyline are you looking out for now yeah i was just going to quickly say yeah. that well better to have a good spring than a bad spring obviously that is that is true yeah. so uh we probably buried the lead with this one i cannot wait to see bryce miller start throwing splitters to hitters we've just seen enough speaking of video two polar opposite guys like dom bless him he doesn't like to be on social media all that much posting videos. That's not who he is. Totally respect it. 
Bryce Miller has been on social media a lot saying, look at all these splitters I've been throwing. And by the way, they look fantastic. Now, he's mm. not facing live hitters. He's throwing bullpens. But I'm so ready to see it against live hitters because he's had the TrackMan data up for it. And he's had just the pure video off the eye test to watch. It looks so good. Like it just basically tabletops down. So to Does see it-, it now get implemented against hitters, I can't wait. It kind of rivals the excitement I had of watching Robbie Ray splitter last spring. Unfortunately, Robbie got hurt, so we didn't get to see the full fruition of that uh, of that splitter coming out for Robbie Ray last season. But it's a similar scenario, Lyle, for for the two pitchers. I mean, Robbie was essentially stuck with two pitches. You know, like, well, I need something else. I need a different sort of breaking pitch. So that's why he's breaking this out. Sort of the same reason for Bryce, and that's why we have the same level of excitement that you can play an explosive fastball with a pitch that moves like that. If you can't make a changeup work, if your slider isn't quite that pitch, then try the splitter, and the splitter seems to be working out stuff-wise. The question is, is how is he going to command it? What percentage is he going to throw it? Is he going to leave it at 5%? Is he going to tick it up to 10%? I I, I don't know what the balance of that pitch is and how comfortable Bryce is going to be using it here in year one, which, again, you need to remember it's year one, so the pitch will probably not be perfect, but very exciting to see nonetheless in in Bryce Miller's short spring training outings that he's going to get. I think it's I think it's exciting too because since Bryce started to have, you know, typical up and downs in his rookie year, we started to say, okay, you can't do this mid-season, but I think come the off-season, he's probably going to need to add a third pitch. We said that mm-hmm. we said that for months now. We said I think a splitter would make a lot of sense. So, not only did he do to a T what we had kind of spoke or tried to speak into existence, but it also looks really really good. And you're right, like he doesn't have to throw it a ton. He can throw it 8 to 10% of the time. It could even be a little bit less. But the key is just to have hitters. Like, you want to fool hitters with it, obviously. But just to keep hitters off balance a little bit, where they can't just sit on two pitches. They can't just sit on the fastball slider. They say there is something else we have to gear up for. I think it's going to help him a ton. He just he also needs another strikeout pitch because his he has his fastball is his strikeout pitch. He needs a second one. Elite mm-hmm. strikeout pitchers need multiple strikeout pitches, and even if your fastball continues to be your best pitch, if guys just sit on it, they'll continue to foul it back, and it won't be ultra efficient. So, looking forward to this edition of Bryce Miller. It's gonna be it's gonna be super exciting. We can't wait. Speaking of the pitchers, speaking of spring training. We got into it with Adam Jude a lot. Before that, let's take a quick pause, talk to you about our friends over at Pagacha's Pub 85 over in Kirkland. You guys know it's our favorite spot to hang out. There's great food. There's great drinks. There's pool tables. There's dartboards. There's 22 TVs in that place. You want to go hang out with your friends. We cannot recommend it enough. And if you want to go and get some great drink specials, go during happy hour. It's Monday through Friday from 2 to 6 p.m. You can get $3 domestic beers. $3 Manny's or $4 Manny's and Blue Moons, $4 Mac and Jack's, $4 Wells and $4 House Wine. All that and a good time with your friends is over at Pagacha's Pub 85 in Kirkland. Yeah, I really enjoyed our conversation with Adam Jude. He was very, very informative and seems to have a lot of good thoughts on where the Mariners are headed in 2024. Yeah, and he's this is going to be now his second full season as, as on the Mariners beat. Him and Divish will be sharing a lot of those responsibilities there. It is funny. He's going to be the one that's going to be poking fun at Divish this spring training with Larry Stone retired. So, you know, I, I, I think we're going to catch up with Adam when we get down there in the in the second week of March. So I'm looking forward to getting an update on how he's going to how how that's gone between the two of them. But it's good. But but Adam gives a lot of very good, very good information. He's a big sports guy. And as he liked to remind us at the beginning of the interview, I mean, he is out tenured Divis. So, you know, he's got that as well. So it's uh, it's exciting stuff with Adam, but we won't keep you any longer. Let's hear from our conversation with Adam Jude. Okay, we welcome on Adam Jude, sports writer for the Seattle Times. He's been there for over a decade now. Does it feel like a decade, Adam? Man, in some ways it feels like two, but uh, yeah, just had a big <laughs> anniversary this year. I'd love to remind uh, Ryan Divish that I've got seniority over him by like four or five months, so that's the one thing I think I can hold over him. You know? <laughs> what, what does that get you? Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> Are you responsible for the bananas now at spring training with Divish now that Larry's gone? You're going right to the meaty question, aren't you? That's a good one. Um, 
you know, I, I need to find a way to, to kind of make it my own and, and sort of terrorize Divish somehow, some way. Um, last year it was, I bought a, a lot of vegetables. Uh, maybe people know this, maybe they don't. Ryan is just notorious for uh, his eating habits. I don't think he's ever eaten anything green in his life. And so I tried to kind of force, force feed it like I would with my kids, you know, uh, mix it up in a blender and sneak it, sneak some uh, spinach or something into one of his meals. And it, it didn't work, but I left a bunch of uh, vegetables in the refrigerator behind last year. So maybe that's my thing is it's instead of a yellow banana, it's, it's just something green just to gross him out somehow. So it could be that it could be you hiding his crown Royal. You could, you could hide it somewhere. <laughs> Right, I mean, I'd, I'd hide it down my throat, but yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, <laughs> <laughs> well, where to go? I don't know where it went. I have no idea, no idea. But uh, yeah, we we might want to do something like that too down there. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. This is you know year two for me, kind of full time. Um, joining, teaming up with with Divish on on the Mariners beat, and we had a lot of fun last year. You know, the idea kind of came about. You know, really going back to the 22 season, I jumped on board the final couple months just because obviously. Uh, the team was good, making a push to the playoffs for the first time in forever. And, and uh, you know, our numbers were kind of through the roof. And I had a good time with it with Larry and Ryan. And, and Ryan kind of chronicled some of that on social media, our, our, uh, our random, uh, you know, trip through through Canada, uh, wayward travels to, to get to Toronto for that playoff series. And then immediately back down to, to Houston for all that. We had, we had a blast and we wanted to run it back. And then obviously with Larry Stone retiring, we were losing our best and most experienced baseball voice. And so it just kind of made sense, you know, with where the Mariners are at, with, with the interest level in the fan base here to, to kind of have two people on the, on the Mariners beat. And I was happy to, happy to team up with them. And, and uh, hopefully I can, I can make Divish a little bit more sane most of the time when, when we're not talking vegetables. And, and I think uh, uh, year two, we've got a pretty good plan going forward. So what is your, what is the thing you look forward to most at spring training? Ooh, that's good. I mean, Definitely, definitely the sunshine after surviving, as you guys know, uh, you know, Northwest uh, winter here. But, um, you know, just it's fun to get up early. Everything is done early there, right? They've got their workouts early. You're kind of there. feels like you've accomplished a lot even before lunch. Just you, you kind of see these workouts. You see these guys working out. You get on the grass out there a little bit. Um, you know, it's for a lot of people. And I think for me, too, I just grew up a baseball guy. You know, it's a cathedral. It's uh, I wouldn't go so far to say it's a religious experience, but it's, it, it, you're just kind of standing there on the perfectly cut grass in those backfields in Peoria. And you're seeing these guys work out and, and not to get all cliche, but just to, to hear the crack of the bats and the pop of the mitts and, and um, you know, it's baseball scene, right? It's just, Hey, we survived the winter, you know, here we go. Um, we're, we're getting after it here. And so just getting down there and, and seeing all those guys. And obviously there's a, a ton of storylines we're going to be following and writing about throughout the throughout the spring here and i'm excited just to kind of get to know a lot of these new faces in the lineup and and uh, just kind of hear the way these guys talk and then some of those young pitchers right the high expectations can they not only repeat what they did last season can they can they take a step forward and so uh just for the team itself i do think i'm a little more bullish now that i kind of take a step back and had a couple weeks here to digest a lot all the changes and look at the lineup and see what some of the projections are. I think I'm maybe as bullish as anybody about this team's chances this year. And so I'm curious to see how that starts to take shape down in spring training. So that's a pretty good segue. After everything the Mariners have now done this offseason, it didn't start out on a very positive note. I think everybody knows that. But now for where they sit here in early to mid-February, how would you grade what they've done? Yeah, I I, I think this is about as good of the, as good a job as the front office could have done considering, um, you know, the constraints that they were under. Again, it was just, it was 10 days into the off season. I mean, season ends October 1st. It was October 10th that Xfinity, um, you know, made its announcement. They were, they were, you know, basically doubling the, the price of the regional sports uh, route package. And then, you know, uh, the, the backdrop of all that too. And this is something I think Mariners ownership knew was coming down the pike uh, for a while now, but you know, they're taking full ownership of, of Root Sports too. And that doesn't necessarily dramatically change things um, in terms of their financial outlook. It just kind of all came to a head at, it seemed like at one time and at perfectly the wrong time for this organization with where, what they've been through and what they've done over the last five years. If you kind of take out last offseason and the, the, the moves they made last offseason out of the picture, I mean, 
I think they've done just about everything right in this rebuild. I mean, you look at when you have to start over something like this, there's no guarantee you're going to pick the right prospects or, or find the right international signings or make the right trades. And, and again, they're not 100%, but I think the step-by-step process just to build a contender and then get to this point where obviously we can all see it, you know, that looks like a team, a core foundation that is ready to pop. And what's the last thing you need? You need to supplement that with a couple key pieces. You need to spend at least a little bit, right? What what could this lineup still use right now? It's some middle order of the pop, you know, a $25 million bat right now. And I think everyone would probably be pegging them as the favorite in the AL West. Um, as it is, right, they've had to kind of piecemeal that together. And boy, what an offseason it's been. It's been it's been strange. It's it's just been a roller coaster. And, and I know fans, a lot of fans are still frustrated. You hear fans talk about, I'm not coming back until ownership can do this and that. And and I get that, um, you know, that's totally valid. It's totally fair uh, feeling and frustration to have right now too. But I think if you can kind of separate kind of some of the financial issues and what ownership has decided to do versus what front office has been able to achieve and able to accomplish with those constraints. Um, again, I feel like they've done about as good a job as, as you can do. I, again, there may be a couple different bats or a couple different trades that maybe they could have swung or maybe pulled off, um, but not having to give up one of those two young pitchers or any of those young pitchers was a real priority for them. And I didn't think they'd be able to achieve it. I thought they would have to give up Miller or Wu to go get one of those middle order of the bats. And and maybe that still, in hindsight, will be the right move if it was a legitimate Randy or Rosarena type that we, we look back in six months and say that was still the one thing they're really missing. Um, but again, you're kind of, you know, trading from a strength to bolster a weakness. In the end, you still up, you only end up, you know, two wins better anyway. It, it maybe it's all a wash. So um, long story short, yeah, I, I, I think they did a really good job just getting to this point. Obviously, it's a high variance, high risk approach with, uh, you know, we can get into all the, you know, injury issues uh, a lot of these new guys have had, and they're banking on these guys staying healthy. Um, they do have some insurance a little bit for some of them. I don't think anyone expects Mitch Hanniger, for example, to play, you know, 130 games. They're, they're not projecting that. They're not expecting that. But again, you need you know five of these six these five of the six new additions to to really play you know 130 games and and maybe that's asking a lot and maybe ultimately it's asking too much but um, I do like the the dynamic nature of what they've been able to achieve in, in this lineup and, and giving Scott Service some flexibility at the very least. Now it's hard to get fans to agree on anything an off season grade an acquisition an acquisition et cetera et cetera. But what about the some of the players that were outspoken towards the end of last season? I mean, how do you think Cal Raleigh approaches walking into spring training and seeing the the new additions around him and making the observations he needs to 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 judge whether or not he feels like they they tried hard enough? Yeah, and again, I. I think he probably has perspective enough to know, like, you know, I'm sure he's had ongoing conversations with Scott Service and Jerry Depoto and Justin Hollander too. Like they want to keep those core guys involved and informed as, as much as possible. So, um, you know, I think he probably understands the thinking on both sides of it. Um, you know, uh, I think he knows where ownership is coming from too. And again, um, I applaud Cal Raleigh. You know, he obviously really emerged as a team leader last year. It was Cal and, and JP and, and, um, you know, I applaud Cal for speaking his mind. Uh, again, the ownership would, would kind of, you know, spin it a different way. Um, but I think Cal would probably look at it as like, look, you know, given the circumstances, uh, you know, we, we were able to make the team, the lineup, um, if not better, again, at least uh, reimagined to the point where, you know, it looks like they should be able to score at least more runs, at, at least in a different way, right? Uh, I think they should be able to score more runs and they should certainly be able to do it um, in, in, in different ways, right? They don't have to rely on the long ball uh, as much this year. It's obviously still a big part of, the, of their game and the game in general, but you know, it's, it's not going to be the two true outcomes. And that was the one thing they identified obviously right away after the season that they wanted to cut down on the strikeout rate. And they got three, they got rid of all three of their biggest guys and, and Teo leaving for free agency and then trading away uh, Gino Suarez. And then, um, you know, Jared Kelnick too. I, I don't think they wanted to trade, trade away Jared Kelnick. And I think, um, you know, if, if they didn't have the financial constraints, Kelnick would still be on this, on this roster, but they felt like that was a necessary move to obviously free themselves up to make the other moves that came down the pike later. But um, again, it's reimagined. It's, it's, it's going to obviously have a much different look that lineup this year. And, and um, I think 
if you're looking at, if you're a Cal Raleigh, if you're J.P. Crawford, if you're Julio Rodriguez, um, you can see, hey, this has a chance to be better and, and perhaps significantly better. So you mentioned the injuries a couple minutes ago. When you look at this offense, I think we're all in agreement where it feels more complete with less strikeouts than it did a season ago. But that being said, like, is it a legitimate concern when, when everybody talks about this lineup, they say, well, it's a good lineup if they stay healthy, like, like the if healthy thing. Do you think that is a legitimate concern? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, And again, I think it helps that, you know, uh, they, they do have some guys that still with, you know, breakout potential for sure. I think the Mariners themselves um, are, are higher than on Dom Canzone than, than most, if not just about anyone. And, and we could, could debate that too. And part of it, I think, is that they probably need to pump him up, right? They traded their, their all-star closer, really, or a stud closer <laughs> to, to basically get Dom Canzone. And obviously, Rojas coming in there, Ryan Bliss, too, helped, uh, helped in that deal. But um, they need Dom Canzone to be a key part of this, right? Even if it's only as a platoon guy, 400, 500 at bats, like they need him to be a viable guy. And, and that remains to be seen. Obviously, just came up for the first time as a rookie midway through last year. Um, and you know, he does, he's one of those guys that obviously as a younger guy doesn't have those, those health concerns, but, um, he is kind of factors in some of that too. Like, oh, if, if we can only get 90 games out of Mitch Hanniger, you know, we still feel good because, you know, Dom Canzone can man left field and we can move over, uh, Luke Rayleigh over to right, obviously. And I do think we'll see that lineup anyway, quite a bit against, uh, against right-handers and, um, it's it is fascinating, and again, even a guy like Mitch Garver, a uh, professional hitter, a guy who's been around, um, you know, uh, he's got some pop. He was just in the World Series, hitting third for a, a dynamic and deep Rangers lineup. There's a lot of uh, a lot of reasons to be really excited about that. And think, think, oh, this guy can can really you know be that middle of the order bat, uh, consistent bat that they need. But he's had those issues too, and and. You, they just don't know, right? You, you, you can say they've done all their homework that they wanted, that they needed to do on a, a Jorge Polanco too, and obviously they're not going to swing that kind of deal and give up what they gave up unless they feel pretty confident that it was sort of a fluke thing that he's worked hard to, you know, kind of play push through that, and he's fully recovered now. And and at the end of the day, they don't know too. Obviously, they have doctors and trainers that are looking at the medical evaluations, and and they do all the testing with the guys. And so all they can do is, hey, this is what we've got. All indications are or that things are going to be smooth for now, but you just never know. It's a long season. Um, guys play through a lot too. It's stuff we have no idea that they're playing through. And at some point they need to shut it down for whatever reason. But um, again, it's a high variance approach, high risk, um, high reward sort of lineup. And if, if it sticks, if they all stay healthy, relatively healthy throughout the year, um, I think it has a chance to be pretty good uh, at least at least a little bit better than league average. And uh, with this pitching staff, I think that's probably good enough to get them back back in the postseason. You mentioned Dom Canzone. I think of Dom as a guy who could really benefit from from a good spring training, especially he really petered yeah. out down the stretch last season and didn't didn't show many of the, the qualities at the plate in September that the Mariners thought they were getting when they traded for him. Of course, he's young. He's got a lot of time to grow into it. So he could benefit from a really good spring training. Who is someone else that you think could really benefit from really just crushing it in Peoria over the, the next month and a half. Yeah. Um, I was just writing about top of mind, just writing about kind of the third pace situation right now. And I think that's the biggest question mark for the team, of course. And, and again, I think if they're looking at it from the, the grand view of things, it's like, Hey, you know, we did a lot to, to reconfigure this lineup. And and if that's our biggest question mark is, is a, is a platoon at third base where we're only projecting them to bat ninth anyway. If they can just be league average, right? Just league average, we're going to be just fine. And I think that's a reasonable expectation. Obviously, Rojas uh, was pretty good for the Mariners down the stretch, really hot in August last year, um, but only played second base too. And the same for uh, Luis Urias, um, you know, shifted between, you know, short, second, and third throughout his career. Um, I really think there's going to be a significant drop off defensively for as good as Gino Suarez was the last couple of years. Uh, I was diving into some of the numbers. You know, he he was the third best third baseman in all of baseball and and outs above average and tied with Julio as the best defender on the team. Um, again, it's a trade off. You, you get rid of all those strikeouts in your lineup, which and you get rid of that that contract, which was the the main motivation in that trade too. But um, for a team. 
that is built around run prevention. That's who they are. That's what they are. It's that pitching. It's that defense. Um, I, I think it's a legitimate concern to, to wonder what that's going to look like in third base this year. Uh, because really, and I wrote this too, Mariners fans have been spoiled over the last really 20 years. You go from Adrian Beltre, as good as there's ever been at third base. Um, Kyle Seeger made himself into one of the better third basemen in baseball as steady as they come. And then Gino for two years, who was way better than the Mariners thought he would be defensively. And he worked really hard at that. I give him a ton of credit for that. I know Mariners uh, coaches were really bummed that he wasn't even a finalist for the gold glove last year. I really think he should have at least been a finalist, right? He doesn't have the reputation that I think maybe you need. But And now, again, it's just a huge question mark. To me, that's the, obviously the biggest thing in this lineup. But again, if you're in the Mariners front office and you say, well, we've shored up second base really well. We've got the platoon at third. We'll find a make, way to make that work. And guess what? Come June, July, if it's not working out, they can pivot. Um, maybe someone like Tyler Locklear. I don't really think most people see him as a third baseman, but maybe he's a guy that hits. Uh, maybe you can get creative with Polanco, who has played some third base. Again, not ideal, but or maybe they go make a trade, and maybe there's somebody available. Um, I know people have brought up in the last couple of weeks, uh, Matt Chapman's still out there in free agency. Again, I in a lot of ways, yes, he'd be an ideal, ideal fit because that's the one hole on your roster right now. Third base, why not go get a gold glover? Uh, one of the best guys to do it over the last decade, but I just don't, I just don't see all of a sudden the Mariners' ownership changing tune at this stage of the off season and saying, "Sure, we'll we'll, we'll fork over twenty twenty five million dollars for this guy." I just, it, I just, I just don't see it. Um, be a pleasant surprise, I suppose, for everyone if they did, but I just don't see it. I think they're determined to make it work and and give Perry Hill, uh, you know, free reign to work with Rojas and Urias all spring and and see what that looks like. It's certainly not the first time. It wouldn't be the first time Perry Hills turned, you know, uh, you know, pixie dust into into gold, uh, and and we'll see, we'll see what it looks like. But to me, I, you know, certainly be looking closely, not only just how they fit in the lineup, but defensively what that looks like, because obviously the pitching staff relies so heavily on their defense. I'm just thinking in my head that five and a half hole makes a lot of people nervous. I mean, <laughs> it has been well documented that a lot of JP's troubles has been going to his right. Sure, and if sure. there's also a defensive question at third and a defensive question at second, and then mm-hmm. you look at the bullpen structure, it's like, okay, two of your three best relievers are sinker ballers. Yep. Now they are going to get a lot of ground balls and they're going to put a lot of, there's going to be a lot of chances for that infield to try mm-hmm. and close out games. And then you still see, despite all of that, you know, Frank fan come out this week and say the Mariners are going to be the best run prevention team in the league. Yeah. I don't know how to add that up. Do you? Can, can you add that up? Well, and then you to, to add in more issues again. We bring up Dom Canzone, uh, you know, below average, you know, defender in the outfield too. For at least from the small sample size we saw, I think he'll be fine. But I do think the outfield defense is going to take a step back too. As good as Julio is, he can't cover foul line to foul line, and. Um, so that's a question mark too. Uh, Luke Raleigh again, don't know a ton about him. You know, defensively, I'm curious to see him as well. Um, I think ultimately that might wind up being their best move of, of the offseason. I, I just don't even know if Jose Caballero had a spot on his roster this spring. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think the Rays were willing to trade Luke Raleigh because they probably just see him as a platoon guy. And obviously the Mariners just saw Caballero as a, as a you know, best of platoon guy too. So I, I could see how both sides saw. The deal making sense, but again, you get a left-handed bat that can play the corner, that can play some first base as a tie French insurance. He can fill in if needed in center field, you know, for a few games here and there. Not that Mariners fans want that, but I think he's athletic enough and, and has played there at least a little bit. So that's a really intriguing addition as well. But that outfield defense, again, I feel like that's it's not going to be as strong. I just don't see it. And so, yeah, to your point. We'll see. Again, to me, that just all that just all turns back to the pitching, and you're projecting, you know, George Kirby. He's still got he's still got room to grow. I mean, as everyone loves to point out, I mean, he's not even he's done all this in his first two seasons. What three three four three three five ERA, whatever it's been, and he's he's not really a strikeout pitcher either. I mean, he's he's the guy. I remember saying this a lot midway through last season. Like he's throwing too many strikes. And that's crazy to say because it's his superpower and he does it better than any young pitcher really in the history of baseball. But it's like, well, now everyone knows that. And so they're going up there, they're digging in, they're comfortable, they're ready to swing pitch one. And so 
not only does he need to get them to chase a little bit more, which he's been solid at, but yeah, obviously he needs that one put away pitch and he, he was hoping the splitter would be that, you know, year one, we'll see if, if he sticks with that or, you know, again, if he's not, doesn't be, emerge as more of that strikeout artist, um, then he's going to rely on that defense more too. And, and you said that's, again, that's part of the high variance on this team. And um, I can see where the models love it because the pitching set is so good and this lineup has a chance to be more dynamic and just, you know, I'm curious to see if they steal more this year. That's that's something I thought they would do more of last year. Um, and certainly given the new rules, I, you know, I think that was a fair expectation. So I'll be curious about that going forward this year too. But um, yeah, that defense to me is maybe one of the more underrated storylines here going into spring and just how big of a drop off is it really going to be? So I do want to circle back to the pitching in just a minute, but while we were on the topic of third base, what with you and with, I think a lot of people circling that as the biggest question mark in the lineup. So Jerry said a lot of points to this off season, payroll will go up from 2023. He even said that after some of the root sports stuff, whether that happens, we'll, we'll see. But if he sticks to his word on that, could you see one of two things happening at some point in the season? One, a bigger move at the deadline. Or two, maybe another in-house extension at some point. Mm. Yeah, good question. Um, well, we could start with the in-house extension. Obviously, I think there's three guys that everyone would circle as three priorities: would be Cal, Logan, and George. Right? Um, Cal's agent. I think everyone knows is Scott Boris. I just right. don't see that happening. You know, a, a big uh, power hitting, switch hitting. Um, defensive gem of a catcher at you know, 27, 28 years old. If if they were going to do that, the, the window was probably a couple years ago. And even then, I did, I don't know if Cal and his his reps would have would have entertained that. So I don't know. I, that's probably a non-starter. Um, George, you know, I I again still early in his career. Um, you'd have to make it worthwhile for him. I just don't know if that's a priority for him. Logan is probably the best bet. Um, and if I were the Mariners, yeah, I'd absolutely try. <laughs> and maybe they have, we don't know. Um, and yeah, uh, again, I think the one thing that on ownership will, will tell you this, if, if you question them on some of this stuff, obviously they invested heavily in their superstar center fielder. Um, and they invested, you know, in Luis Castillo at, right after the trade and they're willing to do it on the guys that they know and trust and love. And, and again, I think Logan, I think all three of those guys would fit right into that too. So if, if the deal made sense and, and uh, the player and the team were, were in alignment, it'd, it'd be a no brainer. I just don't know in those three situations that, that it's real, really realistic at this point. Um, uh, and it's, to circle back to Jerry's, some of Jerry's comments. Yeah, it's interesting. I know a lot of people have brought this up and is sort of are holding him at face value. Um, I actually asked him the question at winter meetings. It was immediately after the Jared Kelnick trade, you know, getting rid of Marco's contract and, and Evan White. And so it ob- the obvious, you know, it's like, what's going on here? That was before we, we really had a full grasp of, of what the situation was with the, with the payroll. And, you know, I asked him the question, I was like, what, what's going on? Because they had sort of intimated, yes, that payroll would probably go up at least a little bit. And I think that was all of our expectations. And at that point, he even said he was very careful with his words. Um, and I don't have the direct quote in front of me, but he said it is likely that payroll will go up next season. And so again, when you use a buzzword like that, even you're hedging and likely. So there's no guarantee. What I think is that my, my guess is ownership basically told him like, hey, we're going to be stagnant. Our plan is to be stagnant with payroll. If the right situation comes up or if at the deadline things are looking a little more promising, you know, maybe we can turn the dial up a little bit. You know, again, that's sort of the, my read on the situation. Um, I do expect, what are they at, 135-ish right now or something? They were at finish last year around 140. So, again, you know, Ryan and I have been basically reporting, uh, you know, 140 to 145. And, again, they don't really calculate that till the end of the season either. And so, yes, to your point, um, Lyle, I think that they want to leave themselves some wiggle room to to be able to make a trade at the at the deadline if it comes to that. If there's one piece that they feel like, again, Luis Castillo, that they've said and they've shown, hey, if there's a deal that makes sense, we're willing to take that big swing and and 
take that risk and take on some payroll. At least that was the case a year and a half ago, two years ago. Um, we'll see. I think it's a moving target, though, I do, because there is still so much uncertainty with the RSN situation, um, not just for the Mariners, but around baseball. We heard the commissioner talking about it this week. Um, you know, the Texas Rangers, the Minnesota Twins. Minnesota Twins cut $10, $20 million from their payroll in a very similar boat. And again, I, I'm not excusing some of the Mariners' decisions, but they're not the only one in this boat. And they're basically just saying, hey, we're, we're kind of hitting a pause. Let's remain stagnant. Let's see how this shakes out. They've got some big decisions to make here, um, not only this offseason, but over the next year. What are they going to do with Root Sports? And how can they figure out the Blazers contract, um, cracking contract? It's all pieced together. And again, if you're a Mariner fan, your, situa- your, your argument is, why, why does our payroll have anything to do with the Blazers or the Kraken? And that's a fair argument to make. But from a Mariners' ownership standpoint, it's all kind of all in one big pot, and they're just trying to figure out a, a path forward and what their options are. First of all, that's what they're identifying right now. Major League Baseball is pushing a lot of these teams hard, the smaller to mid-market teams, to pool together. They want to get everyone kind of under one umbrella, under a centralized um, uh, you know, organization and really be able to pitch that to the streaming services or to the cable services or whoever. And it's a moving target right now. No one really knows what that's going to look like over the next year, much less the next five years. And so, again, the Mariners are kind of wait and see mode. They're exploring and trying to make some some decisions. They say they're tough decisions. And um, again, they're not alone in that. So it all ties in. I, I, I don't expect them suddenly to you know, end the year at $160 million payroll. No, I don't think that's realistic. But maybe 145, 150, again, if there's a Luis Castillo or a bat, again, that becomes available in the middle of the summer. That just makes sense. And they are able to swing it somehow for a couple couple of minor league prospects who are really, really zooming up and getting a ton of attention. I think that would make a ton of sense. And I think that Jerry, in that situation, would probably be willing to turn to ownership. It's like, this is, we have to do this. This is the move. We need to take on this. $12 $12 million remaining on this contract to get us over the top. We can win the World Series with these guys. And if you're the owner, at that point, you've got to be like, I don't know what they'd say, but you've got to be like, okay, all right, we can do this. We can do it now. We'll see. We'll see. Lyle mentioned deadline acquisitions, and I, 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 I'm surprised they didn't add more starting pitching this offseason, at least one, because you you brought up a really good stat in your your starting pitching preview article that's that was on the Times. And – the Mariners' current starting rotation, as young as they are, like you just take a look at all the ages of that group, and it's and it's pretty mind blowing. That group threw more innings as a rotation than any other rotation in baseball did last season, and that was with innings restrictions and nursing two young pitchers into the big leagues, and with all the injuries as well. That makes that leaves me pretty surprised. This offseason, they did not go out and attempt to get a a, a more proven starting pitcher without any innings restrictions because right now i mean you have three 20 uh 25 to to 23 year olds in the back of your rotation it's it's a little nerve a little nerve-wracking for for a lot of people who are uh, seeing that rotation stack up so were you also surprised that a starting pitcher was not made more of a priority this offseason yeah yeah i think uh again you got emerson hancock there he's your number six right now and uh, again, a former first round top five or top 10 pick. And, you know, I think the Mariners are really intrigued to, to see what he can do. Um, got those three starts last year before the injury. Um, what could this team really use right now? It's, it's Marco Gonzalez type, right? Mm. That'd be pretty perfect as your number six, the guy who yeah. you can tell him, Hey, <laughs> you know, between rest days and between, you know, injury insurance, whatever, you're going to get 20 starts and, and we want you to be the swing man too. You know, that would be pretty perfect. But again, Emerson Hancock is in that role right now. And I think they feel pretty good about that. Um, assuming he, uh, and all indications are that he shows up to camp healthy and all that too. Um, I think Austin Voth right now is your number seven. They're stretching out Trent Thornton. They might have to get creative midway through the season. Um, you know, Maybe, I feel like a Trent Thornton type is your perfect opener, right? If you if you just asking Brian Wu and, and Bryce Miller to, you know, go four or five for a stretch there or something. And um, again, they'll probably have to get creative in that regard. Just penciling in Bryce Miller and Brian Wu for thirty two starts is ridiculous. Obviously, no. they're not doing that. They're not e- even Desclafani. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, I never. I I remember thinking of that right away at the trade. Like, oh, they'll try to flip him immediately. Yeah. Like that's in. But again, uh, they're having say the, pay. the 
the the volume innings made sense, I thought. 100%. Yeah, that type of guy. Um, But I guess the flip side, too, is like if your biggest question mark as a pitching staff is who is our number seven starter, who is our number eight starter, like that's first world problem. You're feeling Mm -hmm. pretty good. And so, again, they don't have any name guys coming up through the system right now, certainly not through the upper ranks of the system. And so, you know, they've been so spoiled the last three years, just like it's not normal to have just one stud after another coming year after year after year. And now they got to let those guys play out, see how it is. Again, this is this is pitching um, period in Major League Baseball, but certainly in modern baseball, injuries are going to happen. That's just the nature of the game. That's that's the nature of, of being a pitcher. And you could say that's maybe the one thing that they yes yeah you could make a good case that was the one thing that they should have had more insurance on this year and um, maybe it'll come back to bite them but again if you're a, you know Darren McCacken type will, will probably Tommy Malone will probably end up back in their system at some point and making a couple spot starts here and there is that the worst thing no especially when uh, your other guys are as good as they are and again I feel like that's with the Mariners, what they're able to find, they're so confident and they're so proven in their pitching right now. They can they can kind of brush that off and say, if that comes to pass, we'll make the best of that situation. Where they've they've shown they can handle bullpen days here and there, whatever. But yeah, again, when you're relying so much on young arms, particularly the two at the end, um, it's it, it is a little nervy for sure, for sure. I feel like with everything that's happened this offseason, the one guy who seems to not being not having been talked about at all is the guy playing center field for him, who you saw some odds come out this week saying, oh, with Shohei out of the American League, Julio has a chance to be the MVP favorite. So to flip it back on you, what are some realistic expectations for Julio in year three, if a certain definition exists of realistic expectations? Yeah. Gosh, you look at his season last year, too, and like he did all whatever his final numbers were was in like 30, 30. And I mean, he almost gave up the first half, right? <laughs> like he's, he was more or less league average for the first few months of the season. And, and like, there's still so much there. I mean, we all see it every day. Just the talent build. I mean, um, I know Scott service, uh, you know, this big football guy, obviously too. And he's close with, with the Seahawks and Scott service will go out to, um, some Seahawks practices and you know he'll he, he's talked about looking at DK Metcalf who's as impressive a physical specimen as I've ever seen up close he's been around uh, just the combination of size and speed and strength and he's like yeah that's Julio by the way that's Julio and it, again it's just it's such a different sport you don't see the physicality in that same way in baseball but um, he's what he just turned 23 um, he's still learning still growing you think about all the RBI opportunities he kind of left at third base last year and second base. That's not a criticism. It's just that part of growing up and learning how to be a professional hitter and, and um, you know, just taking that ground ball, uh, seeing I'd single to right field with two outs and a runner scoring position. I think that's the one thing he kind of had to learn that the hard way last year. And so um, I think just the overall run production um, for him this year, I, I really think has a chance to spike and, you know, we've seen him just how, again, the most surprising thing about him is just how good he has been in center field defensively, too. And you kind of take the, the totality of the ball player and he's so good. And yet there's still so much more for him to grow as a six win player, as a rookie, five plus win player, you know, as a second year when he really slumped for, for so long as well. Like he's got a 10 win season in him probably at some point in his career, right? Maybe multiple 10 win seasons. Maybe this is it. Maybe this is when it shows up. It's hard, obviously, playing in Seattle in April and May, and you know your numbers are going to be suppressed, obviously, to a degree. But um, you know, it's everyone would love to be Julio right now, right? He's got the he's got the world in front of him, and yeah, I mean, you got Juan Soto back in there. Yeah, you lose Otani out of the American League, but here's Juan Soto going into maybe the best ballpark for for his swing and his profile, and so you know, put. Soto, Aaron Judge, obviously high up there. It, it'd be interesting now. Corey Seager, obviously already out, banged up. You know he's due for for his you know missing half a season. It's kind of his profile too. Like he's been banged up quite a bit in his career, but um, certainly Julio's got to be right near the top of that list. And I would not be surprised at all if, if this is the year that you know he kind of puts that complete season together and and even runs away with with the MVP. 
Last baseball question for me, Adam. If you're gonna, if we're gonna go 365 days in the future, what is your prediction of how the Mariners' RSN situation looks then? Oh, RSN. Um, ooh. So I do think they are exploring what it will look like to join the, you know, basically half the league and be sort of under the MLB branch, right? I think there's. Um, there's a lot of cost benefits for that just on the back end of the upfront production costs and all of that stuff is really streamlined and it's shared. If you're sharing it, I think MLB wants, you know, basically 15 teams or whatever. And then that's a so much more product, so much more volume that they again can take to their partners and the streamers and, and really divvy that up in different ways. We've seen it already. The experiment with Apple on Fridays, the last couple of years, and maybe Amazon gets involved. There's so much talk about that. Again, it's not even just baseball. It's college football. You know, the NFL is going to Amazon the last couple of years on Thursday nights. I mean, MLB, I think is at the point where they're going, Oh yeah, we, we have so much product. It's every night. Right. And that's part of like, if you're the Mariners, that's, Part of the issue is it's so expensive to broadcast a game, and now they're footing the bill entirely on their own. And so they're trying to explore every every option and every avenue. Um, and if they can, you know, split those costs fifteen different ways, or with Major League Baseball, yeah, you're splitting the revenues too. And so that's they got to figure out the math and how to make that all work. And I think MLB is doing that right now too. Like, what is that revenue model going to look like? Um, so I do think that is a viable option for the Mariners. Um, and again, they're trying to figure out, they've got contracts with the Blazers. They got a contract with, with the Kraken and, and those have to play out as well. And, and NBA and NHL are in similar boats too, as a league and as individual teams are trying to figure out best path forward. So I guess if, yeah, you, you put me on the spot to say, what, where are they going to be? They're, there's a chance that they're, they're under the MLB umbrella a year from now. And maybe that's the best path forward. It's going to look a lot different from a fan's experience perspective, as I understand it. It's, you know, you're not going to have your, you know, uh, Mariners magazine type stuff. You're not going to have your pregame, postgame, probably even. Um, Mm -hmm. I think maybe that's up with each individual team, but um, it'll probably look and feel much different. You still have your, you know, home team, individual broadcast team and all that too. But, um, again, maybe for a lot of fans, like you only turn it on at seven ten, and you turn it off right when the game ends too. And so maybe it's not all that much different, but, um, I do think the, um, unique nature, the, the home feel of, you know, the root sports broadcast or whatever market you're in with your broadcasters and your analysis and the team that you're getting and the each, each team's different vibe and all that could be a lot different. But again, if, if it's one sort of overall feel where it's just a studio host, in in New York, signing, kind of sending it to the local team, and it's going to feel feel you know I think a lot more um, you know just not as original. It's going to feel a lot colder, but that's just kind of the world we're in right now. If it's a lot cheaper and it makes more sense, I, I think that's probably the, their best path forward. So if we're going to transfer into just a couple of personal questions before we wrap this up, Adam, and when I say personal, just about like your own career and 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 you growing up, and as somebody who's a Seattle native. Did you grow up a big baseball fan? Like, like, did you picture yourself one day covering baseball or did you feel like you were always tied to a different sport? No, I was always pretty open-minded. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, grew up in North end, uh, uh, went to Mount Lake Terrace high school peaked in my baseball career as a 12 year old, Alderwood little league. And, um, you know, but love, always loved baseball. Um, I love to tell the story. My favorite, I think sporting, Memory as a kid was um, the 95 playoffs. It was actually the tiebreaker game versus the Angels. And um, my parents came and, and got me from uh, from school. And then we went and picked up my little brother from his school. We didn't have, I had no idea like, what, what's going on. And they got last-minute tickets to that game. And, uh, and Mark Langston, I'll never forget, Luis Soho, kind of inside the park Grand Slam, however many errors there were on that play. But I'm pretty sure we had – uh, it was definitely nosebleeds at the Kingdom, and um, I think we might have even been sitting against the concrete back wall in the 300 level. But um, yeah, that was a that was an awesome memory as, as a kid, and and um, you know that whole '95 run was a blast. I I uh, yeah, no, I I covered college football forever, and then and doing Seahawks more or less uh, the last five years or so. And um, in terms of kind of coverage and professionally. 
uh, love covering football. Um, I like the rhythm to it, but I was also looking for a different challenge in, in my career. And um, yeah, I feel really fortunate to be able to, like I said, team up with someone like Divish, who's been doing this for forever. Right? He's he's the youngest looking sixty five year old you'll you'll ever meet. And, but but the youngest youngest uh, you know get off my lawn guy you'll ever meet too. But um, you know I think we complement each other pretty well. Um, you know, he's, he's, you know, just a classic baseball beat writer. He knows everything that's going on. He's so good in the clubhouse. Like he builds his rapport with the players, I think better than anyone I've been around in, in any, in any sport. And, um, you know, he trusts them and it's just a different culture. Um, if we're comparing football and baseball to baseball, it's just every day, right? It's such a grind. And I do think players recognize the writers that are there every day that are serious about it, that um, know what they're talking about and put some thought into their questions or, you know, are prepared. And, and, um, you know, again, Ryan does that better than anyone. And I've, I've, I've learned a lot from him and Daniel Kramer as a, as a young beat writer too, um, is as prepared as anyone I've been around. So it's been fun to get to get to know him and, and uh, team up with, with those guys. And uh, we certainly are going to miss Larry Stone this year. It doesn't feel real in a lot of ways. Uh, he's been doing it forever. He's actually, going down spring training i think the day after i am just because he's got a streak going of like 100 years so he's he's got to be there and, um and uh and it's great well so it won't feel too different with, with, uh, with larry still there but um no i'm again like i said i was looking for a different challenge I, I love baseball and um definitely different schedule different rhythm to it but um i had a blast doing it last year and and uh i definitely learned a lot and some made a lot of mistakes too uh, but um, looking forward to year two and, and excited to get started. You spent your entire writing career here in the Pacific Northwest, nine years at the Register Guard, a year at the Oregonian, and then now now 10 years at the Seattle Times. So I did, no, again, notice eight years at the Register Guard overlapping with Chip Kelly. So I'd imagine he's going to come up in this question. I know Chip was uh, quite the character back in his Oregon days. So the question I have is your, Best and worst interaction with a coach as a writer. Ooh, best and worst. Yeah, maybe both have to do with with Chip. Um, <laughs> um, gosh, yeah. Chip and I had our battles. Um, you know, he was he would. I always tell people he was so good. Like four days a week, right? Everyone would see the the quips. Um, you know, the Aaron Andrews on the field, or he's telling the fans, the kids, to shut up, and and like he's he's legitimately. <laughs> You know, funny, a great sense of humor. Um, there were just some basic stuff where it's like he would go out of his way to not be helpful or or be rude, whatever the situation was. And again, that's part of the dynamic, right? I get it. No one cares about the media and the media experience, and that's that's fine. I'm <laughs> never complain about it. That's that's just part of the gig, and that's fine. Um, yeah, uh, Chip. Um, I did have you know a few battles too, and I would I would. When I covered Chris Peterson at UW, I would tell him too, like, because I know he he was pretty friendly with Chip, and I was like, yeah, Chip was this way about some stuff too. Be careful, and uh, and it was just mostly injury stuff. And you know, most football coaches are like this, right? They're so secretive, and it's just the paranoia, and that's just part of the job, right? You're, it's such a grind. You you're you're preparing, especially during a season, and the, the stress mounts, particularly when you're good, and the, you know you're rising the rankings and um that's when always when chip would get uh you know most frustrated and the, the most upset beat writers asking questions or trying to figure out or a couple stories that i would break about injuries or whatever like he would get so upset about that kind of stuff it's like dude they're, it's football these guys are gonna get hurt every day it's just i'm not you know i'm not you know hiding out in the locker room or chasing the ambulances after they whatever i'm just this is part of it everyone sees that this guy's hurt like for you not to even comment on it it's just so it was just always so disrespectful to me, not just to the players, their families, whatever. But um, so I had a pretty good understanding of that with Chris Peterson when, when we got to it. And I always tell people too, like I think uh, of all the coaches I've covered, I respected Chris Peterson more just for the for the guy he was and the approach he took, and and as sincere as he was. And obviously, he did a great job coaching and getting UW where it was, and um, I think he still deserves a ton of credit for getting getting the Huskies back on their feet and all that too. But uh, uh, yeah, I'm not sad. Right before we started uh, recording this, Chip Kelly, the news broke that he was going to Ohio State as the offensive coordinator. It was very obvious he was trying to get out of UCLA. Um, wasn't a good situation there at UCLA. I've heard some stories about 
their their NIL deal there and the lack of NIL money, which is everything in college football now. I don't recognize it at all in the five, six years I've been away from the game. But, um, you know, that's what that's what today's game is all about. Uh, UCLA just did not have it going, and they're not going to be competitive in the Big Ten. And I think Chip saw that coming and has been looking to get out, obviously. So, yeah, I'm not real sad. He's not going to be the Seahawks offensive coordinator. Um, I assume in the decade since I've seen him last, he's, he's chilled out a little bit, and I, I probably have too. But uh, um, uh, probably better off that uh, that he's still in college football as as an offensive coordinator. I think that's probably a good game for him. I'll say you can't totally escape him because I mean Seattle's now Big Ten territory, right. so Ohio right. State Ohio State will come. It was that's NFC right. West, it was Pac twelve, and then it was still going to be Big Ten, yep. and then to another Big Ten. So yeah, yep. you just wish like could he go oh. back to New Hampshire? Perhaps. Yeah, that'd be the one. You know, I can see him ultimately, maybe he turns 75 and he finally circles back to there as his one last job. He's the type of guy where he's, he's, this is what, this is who he is. That's what he does. I think he, I, I just read he just turned 60. I was like, wow. He's wow. Like 60. And, uh, but he, he kind of feels like a lifer to me. It's, it's just in his blood. And yeah, I can see that. I mean, he loves New Hampshire and that's where he got started. It was a great story coming up for sure. It was a ton of, ton of fun to cover and, and chronicle. You know him that just in 2007 with Dennis Dixon when when he just burst on the scene it was like everyone was like what is this and for them to kind of you know nudge Mike Bellotti off to the side when they did and this coach in waiting and they're like well, we're not waiting anymore Chip Kelly's the coach and I was like oh okay and it was ultimately the right move at the right time and yeah wow what a what a run he had there and, um, but yeah uh, it's been an interesting decade for him that's for sure. If we were going to wrap this up with one final question, Adam, is there a story you've written in your career that has either been your favorite or, in other words, the most impactful? Oh, wow. I don't know, man. I'm not real great about remembering the stories. You know, I, just on the Mariners last year, I, I did have a ton of fun. I, I was trying to make it my goal to dive into the pitching stuff and just get to like, how the heck are they doing this? You know, like, what, what's going on? Like I said, it's just not normal to be able to every May call up a you know, stud pitching prospects. And that's obviously a credit to to everyone in the organization from the drafting and developing and um, all the way up to, um, you know, Trent Blank and people who are the pitching coaches that, that make it happen. And they do such a good job of of blending in the analytics and, and the kind of the traditional stuff. And you listen to guys, a guy like Bryce Miller talk now, and he had, you know, college, he didn't, all he looked at was the radar gun, you know, miles per hour. He just wants to see how fast he's going couple years later for him to be able to like detail out his pitch shapes and and everything in the track man and and know how to apply that to his pitches and be able to make the adjustments from one start to the next just based on that it's like well that's that's really impressive and so that that was a ton of fun for me um you know getting to know those guys and getting to know kind of how they operate and how they've kind of come about this stuff and so yeah it was the Pete Woodworth story in particular that was a that was that was fun just getting to know him his backstory and um finding out about yeah he was very very good musician he was in a punk rock band in high school that I, I sounded like he sent me he sent me his songs and and uh it sounded pretty dang good and for that era too in the early mid 2000s like they were doing tours and in florida and he made it sound like they had a chance to be like a real professional band but had to make a decision like hey pretty good pitcher too ultimately i think made their made the right choice he was teasing that he made the wrong choice but uh um yeah he's again there's one person describing to me people were worth as everyone's best friend um and you could see why the pitchers really trust him and he's really able to get through to them uh trent blank is a really smart analytics guy who can point to the to the numbers and all that and and help them apply it but it's people worth who's able to get in their head and and just tweak and turn the dials in the right way to really get them to believe in themselves. And so be able to kind of tell some of those stories was, was a ton of fun for me. And kind of, kind of, again, I was generally kind of look, like to look at how things work or how, how, how they got to this point with different things. So um, definitely be looking to do some more of that this year, but um, probably should do some, some stuff on the hitting as well, but the pitching is always the most interesting stuff for me. So that was, that was a ton of fun. Adam, this has been an absolute pleasure to have you on. We really appreciate you taking some time to join us. I know you're looking forward to getting down to spring. We look forward to reading all your coverage down there in the Seattle Times. So we really appreciate you taking some time to join us. 
Thanks, fellas. Appreciate having me. Great stuff there from Adam Jude. Before we wrap up the show, let's hear a word from our friends over at BetterHelp. Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Regardless if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or you're just a human who lives in this world who's going through a tough time, therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a very different way. That's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. And this is an important mission because finding a therapist can be really hard, especially when you're limited to options in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you to a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. There's a link in our description. It's betterhelp.com slash marinelayerpod. That's betterhelp.com slash marinelayerpod. Clicking that link helps support this podcast, but also gets you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp, so you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you. So if you're struggling, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description or visit betterhelp.com slash marinelayerpod. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. With that, that'll just about wrap up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. If you want to listen to the full form pod, you can do so wherever you get your audio podcasts. Make sure to download, make sure to rate and review five stars. It helps it out. It helps us out big time. Like, comment, subscribe on YouTube, and then check us out on social media. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube Shorts at Marine Layer Pod. That's TJ. I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.